In this episode of The Ziggler Show, we come back to a basic common sense skill that has become uncommon, asking, asking for help, guidance, insight, advice, direction. I mean, imagine waking up in the middle of New York City, let's say, with no phone or map, and you must make it to a certain destination for your own salvation, right? What would you do? Well, you'd ask the first person you came upon for direction or somebody close by. But today in our increasingly isolated lives, we seldom reach out and ask for much of anything. We seek information to apply to our lives and strive to do it autonomously. And we mistakenly think all the leaders and influencers we follow are just smarter or wiser than we are. And what we find is the people we all look to for guidance spend a significant portion of their existence asking others for guidance. So Mark Victor Hansen, he's co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, book series and many others and has had half a million book sales himself and his best-selling author wife, Crystal, they've written a book, an entire book on this issue and the grand opportunity we can claim for ourselves if we'll learn how and when to ask for guidance and direction in our lives. The book's called Ask, The Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Desk and Destiny. And, and we dig into it here in this episode and discuss why we don't ask more than how we can get comfortable and proficient with asking and get past our really fear and pride, which you'll hear us talk about. You can get the book on Amazon and then Mark and Crystal invited us all to join them at askthebookclub.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show. It's one of the all-time career podcasts and Apple podcasts, and our focus is growing your professional success. My Motive podcast is devoted to the reasons that drive you, and my True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. Mark, the, the past, the last time that I actually looked upon you in a, in a format like this was 2004 at Mega Book Marketing University. Uh, and I, and I want to say it was in San Diego, maybe would that sound right? Possibly usually orange County, but we could have done one in San Diego. I, I can't remember, remember. Some, somewhere. Um, but I sat back there and listened to people like you and you had people like David Bach on stage and Alex Mendozian and incredible people. I was there with my father, I think with my brother, and it was really my entry into not only the book marketing world, but just being on stage and influencing people to a big degree. So you were one of my uh, first people. I'd say I cut my teeth on this very industry that I'm now in. So it's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, um, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone do it quite that way. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, I read this book or that book of you, but those seminars did so much for so many. The average seminar had like a thousand people attending for three days. And now we put that, I've written a whole brand new book about just that zone of my life called You Have a Book in You, because I believe everyone needs to write their book. Everyone needs to write their autobiography. Everyone need, has a story to tell, a message to share. And then we're doing a whole backup. People can go to HansonInstitute.com because, you know, because of COVID, we haven't been able to do seminars, although we're loving doing seminars and they've done a lot around the world, heavy in Asia and Europe also, um, and in South America. So we're back, but we've done HansonInstitute.com. We're teaching everyone how to write a book, 
how to market a book, how to brand a book, how to write the right title on a book, and how to make it a bestseller if that's their desire or if they just want to leave it for the family, yeah. all the way up to how to do POD, print-on-demand. So we're trying to help everybody get out because we think, and because and of where you started, Kevin, I'll just say that we think people have been in COVID confinement cocoon, and the way to break out is A, asking questions, and B, writing a book. Well, I agree. So you were one of the first voices telling me to write a book. One of the second one was Zig Ziglar himself. And so uh, I was a slow learner, but uh, I just submitted I just submitted my first manuscript, first book deal. So um, Congratulations. I, I got the message. I got the message ultimately. Well, so on that, I mean, you guys have both uh, written plenty of books, uh, have plenty of messages out there. I am interested. I mean, you talk about COVID and the confinement and the isolation that was that part of what prompted this next book on asking? Well, it's so interesting, Kevin, because, you know, when we wrote the book, we had no idea that COVID was coming. So we wrote it the entire year before. And suddenly we're ready to launch our book on April 28, 2020, <laughs> right after shutdowns. And we're kind of like going, what's with this, God? What's going on? And what do we do? Because a lot of books were being push back to the fall. I mean, people, uh, publishers just didn't have the confidence that it was a good time. We had a meeting with our publisher and we all decided together that, yes, we need to move forward regardless of, of what happens because we knew in our hearts the book had the perfect message for what people were going through because there was so much uncertainty, so much hopelessness, so much fear and that it's exactly the answer to all of those situations are what we teach in the book, that when you're going through the adversities of life, the only way forward is to ask the right questions so you get the right answers. And we, we um, distinguish those then through three channels that we all need to learn to ask, and those are ask yourself, ask others, and ask God. And each of those channels we feel are equally important. Well, and I wanted you to qualify that. Thank you. Because when you see the first glimpse of the book and ask, it's real easy to think about, obviously, that gut reaction of, oh, okay, ask for what I want to. We've got a lot of faith-based listeners here. And of course, you guys cite, you know, Matthew 7, 7, that so many of us know, ask, and it will be given to you, in essence, to, to paraphrase it there. And it's not so much just about that. It's not go out there and, hey, ask for what I want, which is it's part of it. But is I like what you said, you know, is, is asking the right questions. And I'm grateful to have been given that message somewhat back with how to win friends and influence people and messages like that and realize, man, the way to become the smartest person in the room is just ask questions. That's the way that I became the best coach that I ever was, was asking the right questions. Sometimes I would end a call and know that I was getting paid and realize, I don't know that I imparted anything. I just asked questions and it felt like a superpower. And that's what you guys are giving us now. Well, yeah, and then the subtitle of the book, it's called Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny, because we think everyone's got God-given dreams. And we also think the other thing, the bigger thing that you're alluding to, because so many faith-based people are afraid right now and are shut down and scared, is that everyone is coded a DNA and RNA before birth, we believe, to have this wonderful destiny, this fulfillment destiny. And what COVID has gotten done is a lot of people are going back you know, I'm either going to be full of fear or full of faith. And if I'm full of faith, then there's substance to things hoped for and evidence to things not seen, according to Apostle Paul, into the future. I do have a great destiny. And what we've discerned our destiny as, Kevin, is to help everybody get to their destiny by asking the right question, because you hit it exactly right. If you, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, but he didn't detail it. So we detailed it. 
because most people never ask the right reflective questions, never do the mind excavation, never clean up all the stuff. I went bankrupt in 1974, we'll talk about later, but I said, what if I go bankrupt? I checked a book on the library, how to go bankrupt by yourself, because the subconscious can't take a joke, right? So whatever you input is your question, you're gonna get an answer. And I found an answer, which was, got me out of what I shouldn't be doing into what I should be doing, which is what I am doing. Well, and I want, yeah, we're gonna dig into the message of the book, but I am, I always like to bring the, you know, it's almost there at the surface, but I feel like we so miss. So Ziegler, as you know, of course, one of the kings of sales. And, you know, back then, what was one of the main uh, tenets of selling is asking the right questions and listening. And yet we are, it feels like, and I, I so try to be careful and we always feel like whatever age we're in is the most paramount of every age, right? But it does feel like with the advent of social media, it's hard not to pick on that, that we are in an age of we present ourselves and we tell. We tell our opinions, we tell our perspective, we look on the media and it is all telling that there's very, very little asking. And I realize that a lot of people are in social situations and I can be in, so I'm, I'm grateful to be in some great blue zones where this doesn't happen, but I'm aware that there's the majority of it feels like social situations out there, workplace, the home, and people are never encountered with being asked a question, much less having the thought process to actually think of asking someone else a question. And to that degree, it feels like you could have named it the lost art of asking questions. <laughs> well, it, it is, it is really a lost art and you're exactly right. People are always presenting now. We're yes. so interested in presenting yes. this image of ourselves. And the sad thing Kevin, that we see again and again is so often it's not an authentic image of who we are. And, um, and that's sad because I think what people are really trying to do, I don't fault people. I think people desperately crave connection. Yes. And they think, wow, if I put myself out there and present myself as this really interesting person that just has such a cool life that I'm going to be able to connect with so many people. But those connections are so superficial and they don't fulfill that deep need that we all have as human beings, which is true connection. And the only way, like you were saying, that we can get true connection to someone else is to Start asking them questions. Start exploring a relationship through, first of all, wondering about that person, right? And we talk about this as we get deeper into the book, the seven roadblocks to asking. One of them is, is naivete because, you know, we pass people by every day. Yeah. And we're just in our world. We're in our zone. We think we know. We only know what we not know. So we don't wonder enough. We don't wonder what that person might have, that might, that might be my next best friend, my next best advocate. What is it about that person that might, makes that person unique? We don't even wonder anymore. We just blow by people. We don't stop to ask the questions. We don't stop to get to know them. You know, who are you? Yeah. What makes you you? Where did you come from? What was that like to be you? And what are you really looking for in life? We, you know, as salespeople, you know, we teach in, in sales, um, Again, all we want to do is present. We walk out there and we go, here's what I have. I'm the greatest. I have the greatest product. I have the greatest services. Right. You should be with me because I can just dazzle your life and make it different. And it's not successful because we haven't created a bond yeah. with people. The only way you create a bond with another human being, whether it's in business, personal love relationship, any kind of relationship, is to start getting to know them. Start to do these 
questions and go into deeper probing question when questions because that shows you care about getting to know someone. And we talk about that in the book, how to do a probing question. It's amazing how many people will tell us, oh my gosh, I went out with this guy and all he did was talk about himself, how great he was, how this, or that, or that, you know? And he never asked me one question about myself. Why would I ever want to go out with someone again who didn't have one bit of interest in understanding who I am as a person? This is where we've gotten to in the society. It's, you know, a presentation society. Let me present myself and you tell me how wonderful I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have to admit last week I was being interviewed. So I'm here. I've got you guys on. I'm here to glean from you. So I was being interviewed and it was during the interview that I just realized how much of a dopamine hit this was as I was sitting there being gleaned from my wisdom and asked questions and I got to talk about me and I'm just, it just kind of overwhelmed me in realizing I'm sitting here getting a, a drug hit mm-hmm. by being asked. And, and I was almost a little bit ashamed, but I, you know, call a spade a spade. It really is. And this is what I can do for other people. And on that, you mentioned dating. I looked at your, in the book, Somewhere midway or so, you had that Harvard study, 2017 Harvard study on asking questions makes you more likable. And as you went into it, it actually talked about speed dating and that those who asked questions were the ones who most got asked for a second date. I love just the research. I mean, this is irrefutable. It's not an opinion. Here it is. We did the survey. The people who asked questions got asked out on a second date. How can you not look at that and go, oh, duh. Pretty basic, but we two, don't two things. I'll do the first part. She'll do the yeah. relationship part. But just the first thing you said about the dopamine hit, what was happened because we had the book out there and we've gone to the top sort of selling it. You know, Zig Ziglar said, see you at the top, which start out as biscuits, pump handles and fleas. That's how long I've known Zig. Yes. Absolutely. The, the, the point is, when you ask questions, it opens up the heart, the soul, the mind, the kingdom of the other person. And what we've discovered, Kevin, is it, we've had been on, on a couple of shows multiple times because they go, wow, we got the best uh, attendance ever with you. People have gone out and bought two books and they go over it with their spouse or spouse equivalent. They go over it with their business partner, their mastermind partner, their church or temple you know, partner. And what happens is it, it unveils them and it gets them out of depression, despondency, disconsolate, upset, and fear. Just the question of where you're going to go, because you're either dealing with hope and looking for your destiny, which is what we think everyone needs to come back out of the closet of, of fear. And, and, you know, Christ said, go inside your secret closet and, and, and see what the bigger reality is, the illumination is for you individually. You know, it's interesting because we, I talk about it a lot. It comes up on this show. I've got some other podcasts in the health and wellness arena. And that right now we know that with chronic illness and disease, which is skyrocketing, that one of the fastest growing aspects of chronic illness and disease is diseases of despair, depression, suicide, some of those things. And I was taught a long time ago by my psychologist father that one of the best therapies for depression, your own depression, is go find somebody to serve. And what I hear you guys or what I read you guys in this book one of the best, easiest ways that we can all go serve, and we can all do it today. If we can get in contact with any one person, we have the opportunity to serve them by asking them a question. It puts us uh, in second place. Is that fair to say? Right. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it's funny how I always say that, you know, we're religious meets science because, you know, when we're serving, like Christ said, scientifically, I mean, if you understand religion or, you know, scripture, um, we all we all have a oneness, you know. It's, a, you know, I and my father are one, you're one with me. I mean, we're all essentially, we're all one if we understood that. There is, a, and, it, and, and so if we're rejecting others, we're really rejecting ourselves. There's, and if we're serving others, we are able to not serve ourselves, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it, it awakens us because we're observing how service to others brings that joy. It brings a greater level of joy than serving ourselves. It's the most remarkable thing. Anyone who's ever served anyone in little ways or big, think about how you felt when you were able to truly do something for someone that made a difference. It, it completely raises your self-esteem because it really is at a very essential level reminding you who you are. There is a oneness with all of us. And when we deny that, we're denying ourselves. We can't love ourselves, really. I don't believe we can love ourselves without loving others yeah. because it's like a reflection back to ourselves. You're listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode with Mark and Crystal Hansen on asking. And next, I asked them why they started their book with a fairly long parable before then getting into the structure of a consummate self-help book. And you'll hear Mark cited as the longest prologue ever that's actually being turned into a major movie. You can read it for yourself. Go to Amazon, get their book, Ask the bridge from your dreams to your destiny. And then you can join Mark and Crystal at askthebookclub.com to dig in further. Well, I want to ask, when you sent the book, Mark, you asked me to start off and you said, make sure you read the opening story, the fable of, is it Michaela? Michaela, yeah. Michaela. Yes, sir. Which I did. Uh, I dug into. Sweet story. It kind of felt reminiscent of like the old man in the sea and some of those types of fables. But I did, but I, and I get the context of it. I actually took notes on, you know, the key points that came that stuck out to me from the story. But I want to ask you guys or let you share with everybody why you took this book. Because after that, we go into a, uh, I don't mean to minimize it all, but it's a consummate self-help book. Hey, here's the message. Here's how to walk it out and apply it to your life. So we've got this thing, but you started off and it wasn't just a short couple pages. I didn't, I don't remember the number of pages, but it was a significant part that you wanted people to digest, to read and digest this fable. I'm going to tell us why. Well, so Mark and I discussed it when we were sitting there getting ready to write the book. We said, let's start with the fable because we love stories. The reason we love stories is because people recognize the patterns within stories immediately. And that's right. what fables do, right? So we just discussed doing it with an animal and other things. And then we said, suddenly it came to us. I said, why don't we just do it with a girl? And, and, and then I started writing it first, thinking we would pass it back and forth a little bit. But I started writing it and I couldn't stop. It was like I was just channeling, like somehow Michaela lives somewhere. And I was just like, you know, scribing it down. And it was so much fun for me to write. Um, and, and when we both looked at well, I handed it to Mark and he's like, he cried. He goes, honey, this is so great. I want to put the whole thing. I was thinking of cutting it up and putting it throughout the book. And he goes, let's uh -huh. put it at the beginning. Because he said, people need to read this first to get into the mindset of what can happen to a human being. He goes, this is every woman and every man's story. 
And when they see it in this story and they see it in this pattern, this, this, it becomes a metaphor for their own lives. And uh, wow, boy, were, was he right about that? <laughs> because we have had people come back to us and go, like grown men on podcasts, they're like, I've never cried with a book before. And I cried. I cried when I read this. Or what else have they said? I ran in and woke my wife up. and just. And I woke up my teenager and I, I said, <laughs> look, we got to read this. And what you said is correct. It is, we think, I've got a three Guinness Book of Records, but I think she will get a Guinness Book of Records. This is the longest prologue <laughs> in history. And we didn't plan it that way. It's just, this story is divine. I got to tell you, only because you've asked the way you've asked, I get goosebumps telling you that, which is corroboration and truth. We've got these two guys that have come to us and said, we're going to make it into a movie, and they're big in Hollywood. And, and look, I've tried to do a movie for the last, I've been writing and speaking for 44 years with Zig Ziglar and everybody else, as you know. So, but this time, I think the book will, re I think the fable of Michaela will become a major movie. And uh, I can't take you through who it's going to be with or any of that, but it is so exciting for us because. It is what, you know, Shakespeare said, if you're going to be good as a writer, you got to write to every man and every woman. And this is the story of every man. Because right now, Kevin, I think you'll agree. What you said your dad said is correct. People are going through the tortures of the dam. They're feeling depressed, despondent, disconsolate, upset, detoured, stifled. We've got 50 million unemployed Americans and a billion around the world. That's just not okay. I mean, it, it, God wants the greatest amongst you a servant of all. He said it's the Last Supper. So everybody needs to go out and go back to service, and, and we got to get over, you know, COVID. How's that? Yeah, agreed. Uh, agreed. It, it is. It feels, again, I am hesitant to say that. But it feels like such a unique time. And it is. We have new things. We have new events. We have COVID. We have the information age. We have AI. And we have things that are causing new things. But I'm also blown away. But gosh, matter of fact, I'm blown away. I'll tell you what I'm blown away by. I'm currently uh, reading um, uh, Napoleon Hill's book that you have the foreword on. And it's talking with the devil. What is it? Outwitting the, yeah, devil. Outwitting the devil. Thank you. Yeah, I've done a couple of, I'm really keen on Dr. Hill. I, I, you know, I wrote all those books like one minute millionaire in cash and flash with these kids in America to, to take Napoleon Hill into today. And now we've even been asked if Bob and I, Dr. Bob Proctor and I'll narrate, you know, all that, the arc, uh, the original discussion between Andrew Carnegie and Napoleon Hill. So, I'm, I'm keen on getting that done. We're a little bit short of time because we're trying to finish. We got a couple of contracts for books that are gigantic and important. And that is also important because I think everybody needs to understand what Hill, Hill is one of the greatest contributors to humanity. And now not only are we trying to help him, but so is uh, the guy who wrote uh, The Ultimate Gift, our dear friend, Jim Stobel, who's totally blind and made a hundred million for the movie because I said, this has got to be a movie. Uh, the ultimate gift. And, and he's just written uh, climbing the hill about Dr. Hill. And, and it just, we're in an amazing time that stuff that I didn't know existed informationally is coming out. It just, you said earlier, is it the best time in human history? Yes. We got 8 billion of us, 4 billion new minds are going to come online in this decade. We've got technology that just never existed. Like what we're doing right now, zoom two years ago, it didn't exist. And now whatever number I give you, the last number I read, 670 million of us sign up a month for this. So literally the people in Africa, the people in India, the people in China, you know, it's pretty hard to even, and we've worked in China, I've worked in China 80 times. So it's a little hard to stop the information. When the information changes, the education changes, education means draw out. When that changes, the mind changes, the life changes. And, and we think, and I think you agree with us because you're teaching this Zig Ziglar Zoomcast, is it the world can change and get infinitely better. Yep.
I agree. And, and, you know, on that, on Napoleon's cell, yes, outwitting the devil, you know, it, it's what blows me away that, that he, I don't know if he wrote it then. I think he wrote it or published it in 1938. And yet it feels never more applicable than right now. That's what blows me away. Uh, and what, which, which inter- interestingly, I didn't miss the fact that that was within about three or four years of C.S. Lewis writing screw tape letters as well. And I thought, what was yep. what unique was going on back then? But so here we are today, though, and we do have, you know, I just recently read uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think. And I had uh, Stephen Kohler on the show and talking about convergence. And I'm really enamored with what we're seeing happen right now because of this, you know, of convergence. But, you know, with Ask right here, you know, you talk in the book about your grandson, Everett, and how it really cemented or confirmed this power of ask when you see a kid who just authentically asks. So I have my two youngest kids are nine and 11, and they ask. And at first I thought, there's an aspect of humility in them that we tend to not have, which I would say is true. But honestly, my little boy is not the most humble guy I've ever met. Uh, and, but he's just authentically curious and he's not too proud to go, how do you do that? Why did you say that? Why do you think that? And I thought again, how often, and I know this is part of your list of the things that we do that you know thwart our ability to ask uh you actually have the seven roadblocks to asking and one of those i looked at it myself as i went through those guys and i, and I realized there's a lot of times when it's just my pride it is just my pride because i actually am curious i actually would like to know i would actually like to ask you know mark and crystal hansen this question but i don't want them to think that i don't know that because i want credibility right I mean, but, but uh, just to realize my own humanity in that and to think how often am I robbing myself of what my little son is going to get multiple times today in his confidence, in his pride. And he's going to go, well, that doesn't make sense. Why does that happen that way? Why do we have to do it that way? And I love the childlike aspect of that. But you guys know as well as I do that when you get on a stage, especially when you are the book authors, when you are whatnot, there is by proxy the danger of getting to that place where you no longer ask, you again, tell. Right. No, that's so true, Kevin. And I just want to say, you know, talking about the children, we all came to this world as these beautiful little uncorrupted askers. And we did want to know who, what, when, where, why, how, like every second. And we weren't afraid to ask for more, like not ashamed, not afraid. And, and pretty much ask for anything we want. And then depending on how we were parented, what happened in our school experience, you know, don't ask me any more questions. I'm right. tired of it. Sit down and be quiet. Tired, you know, take direction. Um, your work experience, was your opinion valued or just ignored and dismissed? Basic life rejection happens. And then suddenly we find ourselves as adults standing there pretty much terrified to ask anything of anyone and then really ashamed, like you said, of not having all the answers, Yeah, right? That pride, like not having all the answers. Yeah. And like, how could any of us have all the answers? That is why children evolve so quickly. That's how they evolve because they're endlessly curious, because they're not afraid to, to ask. They're not afraid to challenge things by saying, why, what, how does that work? Right. And they learn, they grow so quickly. And, and so 
we're, we're inviting everybody to come back to that beautiful thing inside of you that you were born with, but somehow got buried, got crushed out of you, right? Um, and really look at what you just called, we, we call them the seven roadblocks to asking. And what we found was that every single person carries at least one or two of these roadblocks, if not more. For sure. Just like you said, you recognize the. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I recognize a couple, but don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> right. Tell you, me what. <laughs> you talked about the three distinct channels through which we can ask. And I do want to pick because we do have a fairly faith based audience here at Ziegler. I want to pick on our faith based brethren a bit, if I can, because as again, I was reading your message. I thought, you know, it, it's not difficult for me to go in prayer and ask of my heavenly father. That's, that's, it's wonderful. It's also pretty safe uh, to do that as opposed to, again, stepping out and asking of others, but you have asking yourself and asking others. And so I'm going to set asking God aside. Cause I think a lot of our folks are used to that. Hopefully they are, hopefully they're doing that well, but to realize that's a, that's a safe place that there is a, you did purposely come out and say, no, there's two other places that you need to as well. So we just start with asking yourself, because I don't think that that is one that rises to the surface in our thought patterns of asking, asking myself. Tell us more. Okay, so we, we believe all three are integral and, and important. And when I went bankrupt in 1974, I, was, I thought I was so smart and I'd been with a really brilliant guy who invented geodesic domes. I'm building the Wall Street Record Club, Botanical Gardens, aviaries. But I'm building out of plastic at exactly the wrong time. That's when the oil embargo hit. And the market's crashing and burning, and so did I overnight. And I checked a book out of the library, like I said, is how to go bankrupt by yourself. Well, I did do the thing of asking myself, and then it's, okay, God. I asked God first, what is it I'm supposed to do? I'm six months here. I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag in front of another guy's room. It's really uncomfortable for me. Come on, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Or am I, because I was so low spiritually and emotionally and physically that, that I want to slash my wrist. And um, all of a sudden it came through them. So let's talk to people that care about things that matter <clears throat> that make a life transformative difference. That was my first miracle. Well, I go down to my three roommates. I'm living in Hicksville, Long Island, New York. And, and uh, I say, hey guys, any of you know somebody that's about my age speaking, not a lawyer, doctor, celebrity, Broadway star, or famous person. I said, oh yeah, yeah there's kids out in, in Hawpaw. Here's my ticket, I can't go. I get my beat up old Volkswagen, the bankruptcy court's not taking a race out there. Here, this young guy, you probably never heard of him, Chip Collins. And I asked him after he was done, he mesmerized, during the worst real estate economy in the world, he mesmerized 500 people. Just, whew, I thought, boy, that's what I want to do. I asked him, I said, Chip, can I buy your lunch and uh, ask you about how to do this business? He said, okay, the chance of you doing this is zero. One in a thousand, you'll make it. I'll let you, I'll tell you what to do, but you're not going to do it because nobody does. They all come to me and say, they think it, it looks easy. You stand up there and wax on. Anyhow, he told me what to do. And he said, stay out of the real estate business. I own these five boroughs of New York. You do life insurance. I'll tell you what the questions they ask. Well, I did a thousand talks a year the first three years. And people kept saying, do you have it in a book? And well, first book I wrote was stand up, speak up, and win. And little audiences, Kevin, I'm talking about six guys in a real estate office, 10, 20, never over 50. I said, this isn't a New York Times bestseller. It's not a national bestseller, but it is my bestseller. And I want to sign it to you, your wife, your kids, and your dog, which I thought that was funny. And they all bought it. And I sold 20,000 copies at $10 each, grossed $200,000. I was back. I started paying back all the stuff. 
I was just in heaven. So when you ask God, he has to answer, right? Number two, you'll get to ask others and you've got to have the courage and God gives you the courage. And if anyone listening there doesn't have the courage, all they got to believe is the three of us believe they can go ask the right kind of questions, appropriate questions, and they'll get it. And then, you know, so you ask yourself, ask others and ask God. Simple stuff. Simple stuff, and as most of the simple things are, difficult to walk out because we have the realities of life. And I do want to hit on, I, out of all the book, I did come back and was pretty enamored with just with the seven roadblocks to asking because we're all going to hear this message. So we're going to have tens of thousands of people hear this message on the Ziegler Show podcast. And so many of them, as you know, are going to hear it. It's going to make sense. It's easy to nod our heads, and yet we turn it off, go about our lives, and we just don't do it. We don't make a change. We don't take action, and we don't ask. So I like the seven roadblocks. What are the things that keep us from doing that? I'd love to just walk through them quickly if we can. I mean, the first one you have is unworthiness and insecurity. And your definition there was conditioning from our childhood or past experiences that tells us we don't deserve better. And part of that that came out as I read that was, again, back to that aspect of humility and admitting that we don't know everything. And I don't know that you put these in order, but I felt like that one's got to be near top of the list. Right. Yeah. The, the unworthiness seems to be such a universal theme yeah. for humanity, because what happens to us is, you know, stuff happens, bad events happen, and we get our feelings hurt, emotions come into play. And then we tell ourselves a story behind what happened. Like, I'm not good enough. I failed because they don't like me because I'm stupid. I'm not worthy of this. So that unworthiness keeps playing like a recorder in the background. So every time an opportunity comes out, we go, there's the exact guy in the room I need to talk to because he does, you know, for the business I want to get into, or he would be the next con connection. Right. And then we go, oh, he's probably too busy. Why would he want to talk to me? right? The unworthiness, the unworthiness recording starts playing. Right. Okay. So, um, and, and we have to ask ourselves the questions to gather that. And I want to just go back to the asking yourself part for a minute. It's probably the most important part of this journey. Cause like you say, I think a lot of people are used to asking God, some people are not, and that's equally important, but they're all extremely important. But the asking yourself is the reflective journey, right? Asking yourself, gets you into that space where you start to observe and become aware of what is really going on in your process, okay? Why do I feel so unworthy, right? right? That's a reflect, this is your reflective process. You're, you're asking yourself, what happened in my life that made me, what was the first event that, that happened that made me feel like I was worthless, useless? How, what are all the times I've been rejected? that reinforced that belief. And, and, you know, am I willing to let go of that belief now, right? Yeah. All of these questions can get you through these roadblocks, every single one of them, if you're willing to just take the time to go through the book and, and really ask the questions. We give so many questions in the book, holding up the mirror questions, you know, self-reflection questions, all of these things. And then as you start asking questions of yourself, more questions are going to come and the answers will come and you should write them down because they are actually 
guiding you across the bridge to your destiny. Those answers are. And I do want people to hear that, that so much of the book is a guide to understand and realize how to ask the questions, because I think a lot of us also fall into, and it's actually the third one. I'll come back to number two, but the third one there is just doubt. We're not sure how to ask or even what to ask. We weren't exposed to much. And I appreciate that because I'm a fan. It sounds goofy, but in a sense, a fan of the word ignorance. It doesn't mean dumb. You can be highly intellectual. We all know that people who are incredibly intellectual, possibly even ourselves, if we can claim that, that are, I'm blown away by how ignorant I often realize that I am in a certain area uh, with a certain opportunity or whatnot. So here we are of just saying that, okay, a lot of us, we've only known what we've known. Kind of like what you talked about. I think you mentioned that before, Mark. We only know that. My business partner says the most dangerous thing is we don't know what we don't know that a lot of the book is saying, okay, it doesn't mean just to hear this is one thing, but to know, okay, how do I actually walk this out? What questions? I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know what I need to. That is what your book is about, is helping erase that. Again, what you have for number three is, is doubt there. Um, you mentioned rejection and, and such a big part of it. Um, and, and actually, it's number two is naivety, you know, is so much of the aspect. Yeah, the ignorance. That's really where I came to that I, from. I'll, I'll, handle, I'll handle rejection and she can handle naivete with your permission. A rejection, I've always taught yeah. a clear, clean four-letter word. Somebody says no to you, you got to see N-E-X-T, next. Because right. somebody out there is going to buy. In other words, the first day after I was bankrupt and, and Chip Collins taught me how to go out and ask, I asked 10 people. He said, if you ask 10 in one day, one will say yes. Well, sure enough, the guy at 6.30 at night, it's late at night. The guy not only gave me the thing, he said, I'm the number one guy in the number one company metropolitan. Here's the directory. You just tell everybody that Big Tony sent you. I mean, he weighed 450 pounds, so it was great. And uh, I just, I went flying out of there, and I either was doing a talk or selling talks. That's all I did for the first three years. So yeah, t speak on on uh, Over re overcoming rejection because yeah. we all got to reject rejection. So that's point. And Crystal can do naivete much more articulate. And that's what and that's what uh, really what I was talking about in, in the aspect of um, of being ignorant is naivete that we have. You say in the book we're unaware of what's possible. Possible. We grew up with limited possibilities, limited exposure, and we only know what we know. Right. No, it's so true, you guys. We don't even realize it's happening because we don't know. And I tell this story we, in the book about how we had this uh, lovely Filipina woman who watched our kids for us when, when they were young. And she would come every day and make these beautiful like dishes from her homeland. Loved our kids so much. And one day she shows up with this fruit, cut it up on a plate, handed it to me. And I'm like, I bit into this juicy orange fruit. And I'm like, what is this, Malta? I'm like, this is the best fruit I've ever tasted. She goes, it's a mango. And I was like, a mango? How come I've never tried a mango? I've been all through Europe. I've been, I felt like really worldly and well-traveled. I'd never had a mango. I was like, where did you get this? Thinking she must have imported it from the Philippines, right? She goes, at the grocery store. And I'm like, these are at the grocery store? I pass them by every day at the grocery store? And I thought, that's crazy. Like, I'm so, I'm naive to them being there because I grew up in Idaho where we have a lot of potatoes but no mangoes, right? But we're all, and it made me think like how naive we all really are. We only know from our own subjective experience what's available to us until we stop being naive and decide to go back into that childlike wonder, back into that curiosity and go, I'm going to wonder about everything. I'm going to ask about everybody. I'm not going to pass people by because I might, if I don't wonder and, and, and get to know them, ask some questions, I might miss 
you know, the most amazing person in the world, the most amazing opportunity, the most amazing conversation or the most amazing fruit, right? It's, it's really about opening up and stop, you know, living in our, our, our naivete, like break out of it. And so I do want to make a call out to the book that that is so much. If you want to become a professional asker and understand how to walk this out, that is, you know, what the book is about. Your fourth one here, excuses. And the first thought, again, I feel it's a soft spot for me right now in my own humanity and in the culture right now is our propensity just to justify, not to change, not to accept responsibility, but to justify. And in this, you're talking about our propensity to be too stubborn or proud to reach out to someone and be vulnerable and even that you would rather endure pain and hardship than ask. And how many times, coming back to that, that sometimes I've got to realize, okay, am I going to let my pride keep me from the opportunity of asking that question? And I have to look at that and weigh the odds. And what do you want more, the pain or the opportunity? It's got to be, again, one that that is, it, it again, feels like right now we are in such a culture of excuses and justification. Yeah, and people go for security rather than opportunity. And I love right. that, that juxtaposition. But my older brother came here and we were talking about excusology as the thing of what are you excusing and my, he was one of my role models when I was little, 11 years older than me. His wife had predeceased him. We said, look, come and stay at our house here in Scottsdale, Arizona. He had a great time. But I'm driving to the airport. I got up at 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning, took him to the airport. I've been going through airports now for 44 years, so I know the protocol. I got it wired, man. I just I assumed that he did. But I didn't realize that his wife dragged him through the airport. And even though he's got a photographic memory, he never got that down and packed. So I said, are you okay, big brother? Can I just drop you off or do you want me to take you to a gate? He said, oh, I can handle it. He couldn't handle it. Yeah. I get called in the middle of the afternoon. and uh, Yeah, the next day and, and say, hey, um, is Bay there? And his little daughter says, hey, Uncle Marky, do you not know what happened? I said, uh-oh, what happened? Because I thought, oh, my God, an airplane crashed. Something. He said, no, he sat in the airport for 13 hours because he was too pride, too prideful to call his little brother and say, hey, come pick my butt up and let's go golfing or do anything you want to do. We'll do it. But And I would have gladly done it. Or I would have got him through the airport faster or walked him to the gate so he would have got the plane he had the ticket for. But And I went through seven things he could have done in the book that, that I thought, wow, it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't even dawn on somebody that is so full of pride that they give an excuse. rather Because if he just said there's no downside to him saying, hey, Mark. You go through airports all the time. Just show me how to get to the gate here at Phoenix Airport. I would have done it. Well, and, and to that degree, it feels like it take, for, to be able to do this, like it does with any personal development truth, it takes us looking in the mirror and being aware of ourselves. And again, I think it's a good walk through these issues right here to do that. And the fifth one you have here is fear. The underlying feeling will lose something by asking, and I already talked to pride, and am I going to lose credibility by uh, being honest that, you know what, I don't know. I'm this, I'm this old, and I've been in the game this long, and I didn't know that. I never had a mango, you know? Uh, to, to be able to admit that is very real and true. I remember somebody, I think it was my wife, actually, at some point, talking about encouragement. I, I am not a natural encourager. It's just not something that naturally exudes from me. I, I need to be aware of it. And she at one point said, why, you know, why not? It doesn't cost anything. And I really looked at it because I felt like it must be 
in some unhealthy way. It must be costing me something. Why does it come to mind and yet it doesn't come out of my mouth? What is it that I'm dealing with here? And with the same thing here, if I'm not asking, what is the fear? What is that, as you say, the underlying feeling that will lose something by asking? I think that's very real and true and probably goes beyond, again, because I think about pride, but I'm guessing that it goes beyond that of what are the things that people can be fearful of here? Right. You know, honestly, some people are so terrified of rejection. It is an absolute terror. The, The fear inside of rejection is so profound because they've had rejection before and they don't want to experience again. So they are just so terrified to ask anyone anything for some help, you know, for guidance. They'll be dying. They'll be on the verge of homelessness or whatever. And they still will not ask because they're so afraid someone might say no. And what we teach people is that, you know, all of us are a little bit narcissistic as human beings. Mm-hmm. We think we pretty much have this perception that if we, if we ask someone and they say no, it's all about us. It's because they hate us. They don't like us. Something's wrong with us. And so we personalize everything. And the truth is it almost has nothing to do with you. When someone says no to you, it has everything to do with them and almost nothing to do with you, truly. Maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe they can't help you. Maybe they just got news that their dad is going in for heart surgery. You know, maybe they're not feeling well. Maybe their teenager is is going through a crisis that is um, preoccupying all of their thoughts and they just don't have any more to give. It's not about you, I promise. We're all, you know, dealing with our own stuff. So if someone says no, just say, you know what, thank you anyway. I'm glad you were honest with me. And keep asking. It's funny. Sometimes when you just ask and people will say, no, they'll come back to you later and say, what, you know what, I can help you now. That's happened to me. I mean, hey, I'm sorry I wasn't able to, but my time's more free right now. So anytime yeah. you want to do that, let, let me know. Yeah. Great. I've lost nothing by asking. We think that we're so terrified. We think that rejection is going to do something bad to us. It's not. It's, not. It, it's just one step closer to getting a yes. You know, that's what we tell people. It's one step closer to finding that perfect person. And, you know, we tell, I love this story. If, I, if we have a second to tell yes, about Lynn please. in the story, in the book. This is such a great example. So Lynn came out of college of, uh, wanting to go into the nonprofit space. She is amazing. She just knew that was her calling, right? She wanted to help people. So right away, the first thing she did um, was put together a camp for disadvantaged children. And it was going to be an extensive camp, a summer camp, because she knew that the parents of those children could not afford it, right? It's just too expensive. And they would have to work all summer. So she wanted to give that option. So then, she, of course, she had to go get funding for it. She finally was able to get an appointment um, with the woman in her city who was uh, controlled the largest family trust. Okay. So very one of the wealthiest women in her city. So she shows up at the woman's office, elegant office, and she goes, I am so terrified that I'm visibly shaking. And she said, I, I was so obvious that I couldn't, I couldn't hide it. So she said, I just fessed up to the woman. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm just so honored to meet you with that, but I'm really, I'm really nervous. So forgive me. And the woman, of course, was so kind. She's like, sit down. Don't worry about it. You know, um, tell me what you have. So Lynn proceeded to tell her about this camp and how great it was going to be for the kids and what it would do and all of the advantages. And then the woman said, well, it sounds great. So how much are you asking for? And all of a sudden, Lynn got tongue-tied again and totally scared. And she goes, I was so scared again, I started stuttering. She goes, 
um, I'm asking for f- 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 $5,000 because that's how much it costs to put a camper through for the summer. And the woman sat back and said, okay, but how many campers do you have? How many campers do you want to come to the camp? And, and Lynn said something like, you know, 285. And she said, the woman said, I'd like to underwrite all of them. How much will that be? <laughs> and Lynn goes, it was so not what I was expecting. I couldn't even add it up. She said, I don't know. Do you have a calculator? I'll add it up. Because it was so above and beyond her wildest dreams of what this woman would be able to do for her, that her, you know, her wish was granted so far and above. But imagine if Lynn had given in to the fear that we all have found ourselves doing, guys. I know, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're relating to this, really take a look at it because I could sure relate to it by step, standing back and not asking. Think what all those kids would have been deprived. So sometimes when you feel that fear, you literally just need to step on it and crush it with some courage. You're still going to feel it, right? Just like Lynn did, but just... Being willing to step on it and crush it with that courage. Well, and you say in that that it was beyond her wildest dreams at how, well, your sixth point here, pattern paralysis, brain conditioning and habits that keep us repeating the same disappointing patterns. How many, it, it made me think, yeah, beyond wildest dreams. It was so far beyond her expectation. And that, again, even looking at myself, how often is it just beyond my expectation of what I think is reasonable? Okay, I'm an intelligent, you know, bright, successful guy. I kind of know the game. I I know what should be possible here. And because of that, I don't ask that bigger ask because I'm stuck in the pattern paralysis of I know what I know and I expect this incremental gain. I don't expect to, I expect to increase my income this much or my business this much. I don't really expect to quadruple it or 10 times it overnight because I'm just, you know, I'm smart enough to know better, right? And yet there's what you're calling out. I saying, yeah, that's your pattern paralysis. It's not reality. It's just the reality that I'm accepting. Fair? So let's, let me talk to that from Please. a sales point of view. As you know, I've sold a half billion books, but when I came to the publishers and 144 publishers told Jack and Mark, hit the road, you guys, get out of here. This is never going to work. And it was really my fault because what I wrote in, in the Wava business plan was I'm going to sell a billion books, which I'm going to do. So I'm only halfway to my goal. I've written out 318 <laughs> books, but I'm only halfway to the goal of where I want. I want to sell a billion. And, and the other day, Chris and I are on with uh, the biggest guy at Amazon, uh, books called Amazon bestseller. And, and Mark Devereaux said, you, Mark Victor Hansen, are the Roger Bannister of books. Do you remember who he was, Kevin? I do. I yeah, do. the four-minute mile. Four mile I, guy. I said, Mark, you're. A, thank you for that. I take that as a great, great compliment. But the difference is he broke the barrier. Before that, everyone knew if you did a four-minute mile, your heart would jump out of your chest, you'd right. fall over dead. The next week, 119 people did it. And he said, well, where else does that happen? I said, well, four years ago, there was no such thing as a trillion-dollar company. Now we have five trillion-dollar companies. And we got a couple of people that will be trillionaires in a short time. And once it's broken, it's broken. So I'm, I just want to be the, you know, the torchbearer, the lead guy selling that many books. Because I, if I sell a billion, we're going to get a lot of other people to sell a billion. And we got to get everyone. We think reading is a fundamental freedom of freedom. And, and we got to get out of the pattern paralysis as well. If you sell more than 5,000 books, you're a big deal. God bless selling 5,000 books. But what if you could have sold 100,000 or a million? Because I'm, you've been in the seminar, so you know I want everyone to bring out their joy and then have, share that light to everybody. Because last line here is that we got it in the book. 
one of my favorite three presidents was uh, Thomas Jefferson. He said, look, if my candle's lit and yours isn't, light yours and mine. Doesn't take anything from mine, but go light somebody else's candle. Let's get everybody's candle lit, which is what spirituality is all about. All of us are only light. And what happens is Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. I never said this before, but I, what we're about is getting people to take off the bushel and say, hey, look, go for the gusto, go for your destiny, go for the big enchilada, because what you ask here about pattern paralysis, what I wrote there was the size of your question determines size of your results. So you say, well, I only want to make a little sale, then you'll get a little sale. God doesn't care what you ask, right? But God's infinite, so you can ask infinitely big question. And if you say, how am I going to serve a billion people and make $1 each, you become a billionaire. Simple. Well, you saying that to, uh, I know destiny is a foundation of everything you guys are talking about and, you know, lighting people up. I mean, your seventh uh, roadblock here is disconnection, becoming numb to our inner truth. And when we go back to, we talked earlier about the diseases of despair. It feels again, like we're falling away from knowing what our purpose is, from having values that we live for. And in this extent, people hearing this to know, again, they they don't have a fire in them of something they want to ask so that they can get to the next spot. And of course, that is the, I would say that's the undergirding uh, spirit of, of what you guys do overall, but of this book is figuring out what you want to do, believing you have a destiny and then asking and finding those desires of your heart. But we're ultimately talking about a reprogramming here. But to some degree, I don't want to simplify it or minimize it, but you're talking about having people decide what it is they want, what is their destiny, finding that, discovering that, and then asking the questions that will help get them there. But being, I mean, to some degree, just the discipline, starting to walk out the discipline of being an asker. I I feel like that, that is such a significant shift for all of us. It's something that I can go home and do tonight at the dinner table. I'm the dad. I always have things to tell. I got to talk with Mark and Crystal Hansen today. I got all kinds of stuff to tell. I talked to other people today. I got all kinds of stuff to tell. But when do I ask? Can I just sit there and just ask tonight, one night, and just ask? What can I ask my wife? What can I ask my business partner? What can I ask the receptionist? I haven't asked. When did I last ask my receptionist something? I'm not going to admit to that one right now. Um, there's, but there's, do, do I want to be, do I want to get a second date? Do I want to be the smartest guy in the room? Man, I do. And I feel like it's, again, that's why you're here on the show. That's why we're doing this is because it's such a paramount thing. And it is to some degree, it is fairly simple, but we just walk through the seven roadblocks that keep us from doing that. So we can find out what it is that's keeping us. Man, it's just, I mean, the testimony, testimonials you guys are getting from this have got to be significant at this point. I mean, to me, it feels like a seminar. We could do mega, mega asking uh, university. Can we do that? Can I come to that? Yes, yeah, we are putting that together, Kevin. So I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. But you know what? Because because this is a course. It really is. The, the whole book is a course. But yeah, you can read this book, highlight it, look yeah. at it again and again. Keep asking yourselves those questions. And every time you read it, or even read a section of it, you're going to get something new out of it. I promise you, because your mind is more ready. You, every time you read it, you're a different person because you've grown just a little bit. So you'll see it in a different way. But that disconnection roadblock, to me, this is one of the saddest ones because this is more prevalent in our society, I think, than it ever has been in history. 
we are so disconnected from ourselves. We are disconnected from the fire inside. We are disconnected from the dreams in our heart. It is, it is a disease of despair. And, you know, someone said what one time, um, you know, discouragement is the, is the first tool of the devil, because if I can discourage you, then that leads to depression and that leads to hopelessness. And that leads you to giving up on your life. And that goes against creation itself because your life is important. Every life is magnificent. Every life is a creation. And so we are, you know, encouraging people to take this asking journey because it's important to connect back to your own light, connect to the dreams in your heart, those dreams, those things that you always dreamed of that you kind of wanted, the things that you thought would be wonderful. Those are the seeds of greatness inside of you. And if you become disconnected from those, you are like, it's an insult to the creator. It's an insult to the creator for you not to become everything you were meant to be because you are the creation. You're the masterpiece. And so that's more than anything, you know, if this is resonating with you, get the book and take the journey because your potential is out there right now. And those dreams are still in your heart. Uh, go ahead to go. May I add, um, what you asked was, are we going to do more with it? We want everyone to get a copy of Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams, Dear Destiny. Get it wherever books are sold. We're back in print. We sold out a couple of times, and we're very thankful about that. But we got the publisher to figure out how to get enough books back in the, in the system. Then, then we want people to go to askthebookclub.com, and we're going to, for free, teach people how to become master askers at askthebookclub.com. Because we think it's that needed. And then downline, in answer to your brilliance, it's not going to be called mega asking probably. We don't know what it's going to be called yet. But we think people need a two or three day live seminar with us to go through this thing, simulated enough so they are invincible askers. Because hmm. the deal in the Bible, there's only a couple of things that are 365 times, one for every day. But one of them is fear not. And the other is ask, because ask goes exactly that many times through the Bible. Under, back to God's talking to Moses, and, and Moses is a stutterer, or at least that's how I interpret that or understand it. And he said, I, he's telling God stutteringly, I don't think he picked the right guy. And he said, right, anyhow, you got to go ask Pharaoh, and it goes through all that stuff. So asking is, is a major thing, whether it's Isaiah or Moses or Jesus or, or Peter or Paul or any of them. I never saw this quite before, but the leaders always knew how to ask. Yeah. I well, and I, know how to ask. That's the point. And I'm looking, you just talked about the, well, back to what you talked about, Crystal, disconnection, that we become numb to inner truth. It brings me back again to outwitting the devil, which you have the forward in, Mark, that a primary way out of the drift, as Napoleon writes about, is asking and questioning what's going on and not... Uh, not taking the drift of our culture and just going along with it. I, I'm, again, I'm so grateful you guys did this. It feels, I, I, just, I love it when a topic is taken to task and taken captive because it's so important and write a whole book about it. I, as we have so many books that try to reach the breadth from A to Z and that ask right here, such a tenant. Uh, I'm eager to bring it to the audience. I'm bringing, uh, eager to bring it to my family. Not tonight, though. Tonight, I'm just going to ask. Tomorrow, I'll tell. Okay? Is that fair? <laughs> Thank you guys for taking the time, for being with us, and for doing what you've done to bring this message to us. I am incredibly honored, and I'm the most grateful student. We're very grateful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you we're... for having us, Kevin. And uh, yeah, everybody, grab your book on Amazon, and let's take the asking journey together. Indeed.
I hope you really feel the gravity of asking that I got from this show. I want to think that I ask more than I used to, but this episode really inspired me to get more intentional with it. I still find myself wasting time trying to be self-sufficient instead of just reaching out and asking. I mean, think about how you feel when someone asks you really for anything, for your opinion, your advice, counsel, perspective. We generally feel honored. So will those that we ask. We make them feel good and we can get quicker insight that we can apply to our lives. Again, you can learn the methods of asking better in Mark and Crystal Hansen's new book, Ask, The Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny. You can get the book at Amazon and then Mark and Crystal have invited us to join them to dig in further at askthebookclub.com. Coming up in episode 896, I asked our listeners two questions. How do you create goodwill and customer loyalty in your business? And then what business has your customer loyalty and why? I was fishing for something that Tom Ziegler and I came up with in Ziegler's show episode 892 and what some businesses do beyond just competing for price and even quality to wow their customers and retain them. This will be significant for all of you with businesses to hear and glean from. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.